morning. That was a little sermon preview for next Sunday. We're launching a new series in the book of James. I appreciate everyone's feedback. For those of you who weren't here, we did a survey of what, as we're finishing of Ephesians, what book do you want to go into next? And the majority of you voted for James. So it's going to be a new series called Real Faith in Real Life. And I don't know about you, but as I've went through Ephesians, I've been personally convicted and growing And it's really changed my life, and I guess the Bible should change your life, right? So this next series on James is going to be very practical. It's going to talk about being slow to speak, which for those of us who are teachers, that's often hard. Um, Slow to become angry. It's going to talk about relationships. It's going to talk about how to treat everyone equally, and the list goes on. So I'm looking forward to that. So bring your friend next week, get an invite card, and let them know we're starting this new series So today we're going to do uh, something kind of unique. I'm going to try to summarize over 20 sermons into one, so you guys pray for me. Um, It's it's been researched that the average person, if you just hear something but don't know anything about it, or don't review it, uh, within a week and up to a month, most of us will forget 90% 90 of what we've heard. How many of you find that to be true? Um, As a college student, I remember I would have to review, 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 to remember maybe half of what I've learned. So the challenge with the Bible is Sunday after Sunday, if we listen and hear, but we don't put it into practice, what happens is James 1.22, where it says, don't be a hearer of the word and not a doer deceiving yourselves. So in other words, if you hear Sunday after Sunday, sermon after sermon, don't put it into practice, unfortunately it can make us into bigger hypocrites. And everybody said, ouch. So part of review is to help us to really absorb the truths, to reflect and ask ourselves, have I put this into practice? Am I living out what I've learned? Because Arden first, we realize none of us are perfect, but we want to close that gap. And this whole series in Ephesians is becoming who you already are. So it's going to be rapid pace. You may not fill in all the blanks in your outline. That's okay. Um, But we're going to be in chapter 1. And as you turn there on your listening guide or in your Bible, um, kind of a preview of today, we're going to cover all six chapters, and you guys have submitted some of your favorite verses, and we're going to cover some of your favorite stories from the series. I'm sorry if your favorite story doesn't get told or your favorite verse, but we'll, uh, we'll do our best at covering it. Some of you may remember of Hetty Green. She was uh, known as a, a very famous person, but many people didn't like her. Her dad passed away when she was 30, leaving her $100 million in that day's equivalency. And uh, she became an investor in Wall Street, and people didn't like her. They had a, a really bad term for her. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but uh, just say they didn't like her. So she was known as very frugal. In fact, she was such a miser that she could be in the Genesis Book of World Records as the biggest miser. Um, her husband and her two children were isolated from her because she was just hoarding resources. She would save money on eating cold oatmeal because she didn't want to heat up the oatmeal because she thought it cost too much money. Ladies, she didn't want to wash her dress. She only washed the hem of the dress in soap because she wanted to save money on soap. And whenever her son Ned broke his leg, instead of going to a, a doctor that could get the job done and the leg healed, she went to a clinic for the poor because she didn't want to spend her fortune on getting his leg fixed. Unfortunately, when finally 
went to get it fixed, they had to get his leg amputated. So she died arguing over skim milk. That was her last argument because she said skim milk is cheaper than whole milk. And when she died, she left behind the equivalent of what is some $4 billion today. And yet she died alone and isolated. She was very wealthy, but she died as a pauper. Ephesians tells us who we are in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3 talks about who you are. Chapters 4 through 6, now how you're going to live it out. So we're going to go through very fast. This is what I call the highlight reel. For those men and women who enjoy ESPN, you notice at the end of the day they have the top ten countdown, the highlight reel. Well, that's what we're going to do with Ephesians. So if you will turn to Ephesians 1, starting in verses 1 through 6. And we have a listening guide so you can keep pace with this sermon. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us as adoption, as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which, in which he made us accepted in the beloved. So I want to call to your attention eight truths in chapter 1 of who you are in Christ. You may not realize it, it may not feel like it, but these are eight realities from this passage. The first one is this, I am a saint. Let's hear you say, I am a saint. You're either a saint or an ain't. And a saint is someone is separated, consider holy. Now you may say, well, my husband, if you only knew... How he is on Saturday mornings, he's grouchy and irritable, or my wife, or my child. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're a saint. The Bible says Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. He took all of our sin on the cross, so we're a saint. The second one is, I'm a trophy of grace. Let's hear you say, I'm a trophy of grace. If you look, it says in verse 1 and 2, grace to you, verse 2. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that grace came running for you? When you were running from grace, grace came running for you. And the beautiful thing is, for everyone who has said yes to God, yes to the Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins, you become a trophy of His grace. Number three, I am already blessed. I am already blessed. Now think about that. He has blessed us. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, later on in Ephesians, we'll see that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So, you can look at this world from an earthly perspective. It's like me looking down at my life, looking at all my challenges. Or, you can look from your heavenly position. You're already seated with Christ. So, Colossians says that we're to set our realities on things above. That's where your real life is. So instead of you looking down or looking up, what if you take God's view and you're in heavenly places looking down? And you're like, well, how is that possible? Well, when you get into God's word, it gives you a glimpse of how he sees reality. You are already blessed. Number four, I am chosen. Now think about that. God chose you before the world was created. Isn't that a mystery? Before God spoke 
the world into existence, before he breathed stars into being, he chose you. And I don't understand that. The only thing I can explain is God knows for in advance what's going to happen. So he chose you to be his child. Now you had you had to say I do as well. But God foreknew what was going to happen. And that's a beautiful truth. Number five, I am holy. Come on, say I am holy. You need that confession. Because you may say, well, if you knew what I did last night. <laughs> well, the thing is, is Jesus took all your sin on the cross. And if you've received Christ, the Bible says that you are holy. That's positionally. And part of becoming who you are in everyday lifestyle is the practical day to day. So what you are in position, you're to become practical in your day to day lifestyle. Number six, I am loved. Even if you never feel loved by anyone else, if you know that you're beloved by God, that's enough encouragement to get you through even the roughest of days. You are loved. Jeremiah says that you're the Lord told him that you are loved with the everlasting love. Now, think about that. As long as God's been around, which is forever, he's loved you even before you were created. I can't explain that. I can just receive it that I am loved. Number seven, I'm adopted. Did you realize in this Greco-Roman world, whenever you're adopted, I don't know of any cases where you could be unadopted. It was pretty much, it was a done deal. So whenever God adopts you, you can't be unadopted. You're in his family. He's sticking with you. And he's going to be with you forever. Isn't that great? So once you're adopted, you'll never be unadopted. You're in God's family forever. Number eight, I'm accepted. If you've ever tried out for a team and been rejected, doesn't that hurt? I was uh, confessing to some of the uh, staff the other day, or it was a while back, how I used to play basketball. And in the sixth grade, I played Hominy Valley League. And for those of you who grew up in this area, you know Hominy Valley's Candler. And my team made it to the finals, and they had like a travel league, you know, you travel. And the coach told me, Timothy, I'll call you when it's time to game day. And I found out later they went on without me, and they played without me. And that was just like, oh, my goodness, I felt so rejected. But when I read scripture like this, this, even if you felt rejected in your life, if God accepts you, it doesn't matter who rejects you. And I'm over that, by the way. That was sixth grade. <laughs> I've grown up since then. All right, so that's chapter one. Chapter two, and I know we're going through this fast. We've got six chapters to go through. Ephesians 2, 7 through 10. Many of you submitted this in, in your uh, listening guide that you wanted this covered because this is a beautiful passage. Verse 7 of chapter 2. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And the verse we all know, you can say it with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Amen. So your story is a story of grace. And you're listening out, if you look at number one under chapter two review, your story is a grace story that has a beginning, but no ending. You and I were created, but in Christ, for those of us who are believers, we will continue on forever. Look at verse 7. It says that in the ages to come, he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. Some of you are going through hard times right now. 
when you get the doctor report and it's not very favorable, when someone in your family passes away, it seems like if God is so good, how come my life is so bad? Well, verse seven says that in the ages to come, he's going to show you how good he is. So if life's not good right now, we're not promised a good life now. We're promised that God will be with us, but we are promised in a world to come. There's going to be no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. That's why it says in the ages to come. So if you turn on television and you hear a prosperity preacher that you're going to be rich, driving the Escalade, all those things are nice if it happens to you, but God doesn't promise it. Jesus said in this world you will have what? Struggles. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Number two, your grace story started when grace breathed life into your lifeless existence. Notice it says by grace you've been saved. It's nothing you did. It's the gift of God. Many of you remember Brian Chapel. He told the story about two brothers. They were playing by the river. And they were running up this large sandbank. And they didn't realize that it was loose, loosely packed sand. And all of a sudden, their fun turned into terror as it turned into quicksand. And the boys didn't show up for dinner, so the parents went searching for them. It was an older brother and a younger brother. And in their search, they saw the younger brother, his head, sticking out of that sand dune. So he was unconscious, couldn't talk. They, they started digging him out. And as they got to his waist, he finally came to And they said, where's your older brother? And he said, I am standing on his shoulders. The older brother had sacrificed his life for the younger brother so that he could live. That's a great picture of the gospel. Jesus Christ went before sacrificing his life so that we could have life. Number three, the creator who made you is the only one who can remake you. And you did nothing to earn this new life. Notice it says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's been said that your life is like a movie. God is the star, he's the main character, and you and I get to play the supporting role. And whenever you realize that, it changes the way. I'm not the star of the show anymore. It's all about him and his glory, not for me and myself. Amen. And number four of chapter two review, you are the master's masterpiece And he has a wonderful plan for your life story. Verse 10, it says that we are God's workmanship. In the Greek, it's poemia. It's where we get our word poem. And in the original language, it talks about something made. Did you realize that when God made you, he loved you? Even when you were a sinner, he loved you. And whenever you become a new creation, the one who made you remakes you. And he makes you into a new creation. Ephesians tells us that we're now part of a new humanity. We're part of the people of God. Now think about that. You're part of the human race, and that's true. But whenever you become born again, you're now part of the people of God. It's a new humanity. It's a new way to be human. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a new human. Better act like it. (laughs) Just kidding. So, one of my favorite stories from this whole series was from the minister... Um, his name is Tony, and he was in a seedy cafe in Honolulu. Anybody been to Honolulu? All right, a few of you. So he couldn't sleep, and it was like 3.30 in the morning, and, you know, he's like, I want to have me a cup of coffee at the bar. So he's sitting at the bar drinking a cup of coffee, and out of nowhere, all of these prostitutes come in, and he's like, whoa, I must be in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
But he's sitting, drinking the coffee, and he's listening to their conversations, sharing about what happened that day, and, uh, the different people they had met, whatnot. And he could not but overhear Agnes. She said, I'm turning 39 tomorrow. And then she said, with a tear, tear in her eye, I've never had a birthday party, but I'm turning 39. So they went about their business, and Tony talked to the bartender and said, you know what, this is going to sound crazy, and it's probably because it's 3.30 in the morning, but I want to throw Agnes a birthday party tomorrow. So he organized with the bar owner about throwing this party for a prostitute. So here you have a pastor throwing a birthday party for a prostitute. So he came, had it all set it up. At 3.15 the next morning, the room was filled with prostitutes, Harry, the bar owner, and his wife. And as Agnes came in around 3.30, they all stood up and with a birthday cake in hand, saying happy birthday. And tears just came cascading down her face. and She couldn't understand what was going on. And they said, we're celebrating your birthday. And as she blew out the candles to make a wish, they said, let's cut the cake. And she said, one moment. I have never had a birthday party, nor have I had a birthday cake. Can I go show this to my mother? And they said, sure. So she ran out of the room to show her mother the birthday cake. And there was a moment of awkward silence. The pastor, all these prostitutes, what do you do? He did what any minister would do. He led them in a silent prayer for Agnes. And um, after they prayed together as a group, the bar owner, Harry, looked at him and said, I don't know what kind of pastor you are, but if there was ever a church like this, that would throw a party for a prostitute and show this much love and grace, I would join your church. It says, by grace you have been saved. It's nothing you did. Grace came running for you. Chapter 3. I wish we could go into more depth. We're just hitting the highlights. This is one of the, the most amazing prayers. And if you remember, for those of you who attended this Sunday... And by the way, if you're visiting for the first time, it's a great Sunday for you to come because you're getting the highlights of the series. But this is a prayer that I pr- challenge all of us to pray every day for a week. And the prayer goes like this. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Verse 16, look, listen to the prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might. Through his spirit in the inner man. I love verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Alright you guys say verse 20 with me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Isn't that a beautiful verse? It says, To Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So just a few quick highlights. You'll look in your listening guide. The first one is this. This is seven ways God wants to do immeasurably more in your life and in the church. Number one, God's immeasurably more is set in motion by our prayers. Did you realize that your prayer has so much power? We talked about this last Sunday, about the power of persistent and passionate prayer. The prayers of a righteous man or woman avails much. And and if you go back in verse 14, he says in verse 15, For whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, 
Did you realize that we're one family in two locations? You have a family in heaven, you have a family in earth. And one day when the new heaven comes down to the new earth, it's going to be a family reunion. All of heaven and earth will be united together as one family. Until then, we await that family reunion. So whenever you're praying to God and you need passion, maybe you can pray, God, grant me the passion that David had. Whenever you need wisdom, you say, God, you gave Solomon wisdom. He's part of my family in heaven right now. Give me wisdom. You gave Solomon a lot. I just need a little bit to get through what I'm going through. Whenever you feel weak, you say, God, you gave Samson strength and he really didn't deserve it. I'm a little arthritic right now and struggling. I need a little strength, God. And by the way, on a side note, we've learned in Ephesians that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you. Inside of you resides the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Whenever you need courage, you remember a girl named Esther? That she was willing to go before a pagan king that could kill her. And she was willing to stand up for her people. Pray for the courage of Esther. Whenever you feel like you're going to compromise with your convictions. You remember a guy named Daniel as a teenager got carried away. And he was willing to stand up and say, hey, I got a purpose in my heart to do the right thing. We have one family in two locations. Number two, God's immeasurably more is unleashed when you are inwardly empowered. Verse 18 says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might in the inner man. Did you know God wants to empower you? He wants to strengthen you through the Holy Spirit. Number three, his immeasurable more is actualized as you walk by faith. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. You know how as little kids we ask, you know, Pray, Jesus, come in your heart. We're like, where is that in the Bible? Where verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's where we get that. Um, the idea is Jesus wants to feel comfortable in your, in your life. He wants to feel at, at home and at ease. We talked about you ever been to someone's house and you didn't feel like a welcome guest. How many of us, Jesus may not feel welcome by the way we live. So Paul is saying, live in such a way that Jesus feels welcome and at home in your hearts. And notice it says, through feelings? No, through faith. A lot of times people say, Timothy, I can't feel God. I can't feel the Holy Spirit. Listen, we walk by faith, not by feelings, not by circumstances. We live by faith. Number four, his immeasurably more takes root as you personally experience the love of Christ. Notice it says that we've got to be rooted and grounded. Church, we need to grow roots. We need to grow deeper into God's resources and feel like we're grounded. If a building has to grow upward, if it has to be built upward, it has to have a great foundation. So if someone asks you, Brother Dan, Brother Aaron, Sister Michelle, why are you in so many Bible studies? Why are you doing this? You say, I'm getting grounded. I'm getting rooted. I'm going deeper so that I can grow upward in my faith. Can I get a uh-huh? Number five. God's immeasurably more increases as you decrease. Here's the mystery of the Christian faith. You have God, but he doesn't have all of you. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit, if you want to experience God, you've got to trade those janitor keys. Like God has a key here and a key here, and you say, God, you're the principal of my life. I give you the master key. You have every door of my life. That's the great exchange. Number six God's immeasurably more is energized when you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your lives. 
you know, God is able to do more. And that kind of seems like a paradox. The one who doesn't change loves change in our lives. You ever think about that? God changes not, but he wants us to change. God is able to do. He exceeds our expectations. It says exceedingly. He goes beyond what is needed. It says abundantly. He goes beyond all the expectations. It says above. He is not limited by our prayers, all that we ask. He is not limited by our finite minds. It says, think. Notice, it's not your power, it's his power. It's not your resources, it's his resources. God is able to do, amen? And number seven, before we go to chapter four, God's immeasurably more showcases his glory in the church. Church, did you know that when you become who you are in Christ, you already are forgiven and blameless and pure positionally, but whenever you start to become that practically, God gets glory. People can see the change in your life and they're like, I want what you have. One of the best gospel presentations is someone who lives out the Christian life. The living word and the spoken word. We've got to live it out for people to see. Amen. Chapter 4. I know we're covering a lot of info, so hang in there. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Notice not prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of God. He knew who was, in, who was in control. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. That's a nice, nice way of saying putting up with one another. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Folks, the reason why churches are declining is they don't have unity. The reason why churches are declining is they don't have humility. Guess what causes division? Pride. Guess what pr- promotes unity? Humility. So on your outline, a worthy walk is characterized by new character. It talks about with all lowliness and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Queen Victoria and Prince Albert was one of these romance stories. Um, I know we have newlyweds in here and people getting celebrating the first year anniversary. So let me tell you a story. At one time they had a little tiff between Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. And Prince Albert, instead of Victoria storming off, he stormed off. And he slammed the door behind him. He heard a knock on his door and he said, who is it? She said, it's Queen Victoria. And he didn't respond. She knocked again. Who is it? It's, it's the Queen of England. He didn't open the door. Finally, she knocked who is it? It's Vicky. Let me in. And he let her in. Pride closes doors. Humility opens up doors. And if you look on your listening guide, uh, this is always convicting when I read over this. You might struggle with pride if I came up with seven statements. Let's see if any apply to you or me. You might struggle with pride if you think always think about yourself more than anyone else. I'm sure there's nobody in here. You feel like you're superior than others just because it's you. Number three, you find yourself often correcting others, both in small and big matters. You're you're the spiritual police. You always find wrong with others. Number four, your first reaction is to defend yourself when others try to correct you. It's like I never do that with my wife, right? When she says, Timothy, oh, I I didn't mean that. If you defend yourself instantly, it means you struggle with pride. And everybody said, ouch. You like to teach others, but you don't like others teaching you. That might be a sign of pride. You don't think that you have that much to change in your life because you're so great. 
And number seven, you can see the best in yourself, but you often find yourself seeing the worst in others. So really God gives us two options in Scripture when it comes to pride and humility. You can humble yourself or God will humble you. I would say option one is the best way to go. I've tried option two and it doesn't feel very good. Chapter five. We were covering a lot of ground. Most of you didn't think I was going to make it through this, did you? <laughs> but we're going to get through it. All right, chapter 5. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So the idea of that is, just like my daughter Kira on the front row, um, she imitates her parents. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's not. As children, we should imitate our Heavenly Father. And it says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. So on your outline... Live a life of love because of how much Christ loved us. He gave his life for you. Are you willing to give your life for him? He gave everything. Why are you holding back everything? During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, who was the Lord Protector of England, found out that a guy had been disloyal or had committed some grievous crime. And he sentenced him to be shot and to be executed Whenever the bell rung in the evening time. And all of a sudden they went to go ring the bell. But the bell didn't ring. And they went to investigate. Why isn't the bell ringing? And they found out that the gentleman who was going to be executed. His fiancée had wrapped herself around the clapper in the belfry. And they, they got her down. They brought her before Oliver, Lord Cromwell. And they said, they said, he said, why have you done this? That she showed him the bruising and the bleeding. And she said, because it's my love for my fiancé. And Oliver Cromwell was so moved, he let the prisoner go free without being executed. And he said, there will be no curfew tonight. Aren't you glad how much God loves you? He took the beating that you deserve so that you could experience his grace and his favor. So Arden first, our mission, if you'll look on your listening guide... Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty ordinary. But if you have God living inside of you, ordinary becomes extraordinary. Average becomes off the charts because it's not you. It's the God who lives inside of you. And we say it like this. A process of discipleship is belong, believe, become. Whenever you belong, you feel the love. Whenever you believe, you receive the love. But whenever you become, you live the love. So we're trying to help people belong, feel welcome, feel the love. Believe, receive it, not just for salvation, but for spiritual growth. And then as you apply God's word to every area, you become all that God has created you to become. Amen. Look at verse 16 in chapter 5. Redeeming the time because the days are what? Evil. We learn the difference between chronos and karyos. Chronos is like seconds, minutes, hours. Karyos is opportunity, season. So when Paul says redeem the time, he's saying, listen, redeem the opportunity, the season in front of you. And we talked about how that's much easier to do than the second. Because how many of us waste seconds? For those men who watch sports centers and you see the repeat, I find myself watching the same story like two or three times, and it's the same info, but I'm interested in it. It's a waste of time, right? But the season, don't let the season go by you. Some of you are in the beginning of your life, and some of you are toward 
the, the sunset of your life. And this is something written by a 14-year-old I want to call back to your remembrance. And it speaks to me every time I hear it and read it. It's called Present Tense. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted. The presence of mind without the physical limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Redeem the time. Redeem the season. Because life is short. Chapter 6. We're going to read verse 6 and 7. It says, Doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. In Ephesians 6, we talked about a lot. And one of the highlights that stuck with me is every act of work can be an act of worship. Most of you who work are in the marketplace. What if you saw your 9 to 5 or 7 to 7 or however you work, if you saw that as worshiping God? For those of you who are in carpentry, every time you build something, you're tapping into creativity. Even as God created the world, you're creating something. For those of you who are school teachers, every time you teach something, it can be an act of God loving people by teaching them that you can love God with your mind. Because think about how God teaches us. And we teach others. That's God working through us. So what if you see your work as an act of worship? It can only be if you do it for God and not for yourself. Amen. So on your outline, the, the fill in the blank is rediscover the act. Every act of work should also be act of worship. And then we talked about the armor of God. Let's see if anybody can remember the helmet of salvation. Satan wants to attack your mind. God says, put on the helmet of salvation. If he saved you, he is saving you. He will save you. Don't let Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, get in your head. Put on the helmet of salvation. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we talked about in that verse, the Word, there, there's two words. There's logos and there's rhema. Logos meaning the written Word, and rhema often referring to the spoken Word. How we're to apply the Word of God to certain specific situations. And you're to take up the shield of faith. Faith not only helps you move mountains, but faith also helps you get through the trial you're in. The breastplate of, did you know it's not your righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ? So whenever Satan attacks you of your past, if you have asked God to forgive you, if you have become a new believer, a new child of God, you know what, your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. That's good news. And what holds your life together? The belt of truth. Don't fall for fables. Don't go along with the shifting culture of today. Stand on God's word. That's the only thing that does not change and cannot. Two of the things that endure forever are the word of God and the souls of people. 
we need to invest in both of those. Amen. And the gospel shoes of peace. Having peace allows you to have firm footing and allows you the confidence and the boldness to share God's word with others. To summarize this entire book in one sentence, if you look on your outline, Jesus called you, he saved you, and he changed you from the inside out to become a new people of God. Become and practice what you already are in position. So here's your action step. Half of you come on Wednesday nights, half of you don't. A lot of you work, I know, but if you're available to come on Wednesday nights, I've got a fresh new message. It's going to be a part one and part two. Um, it's, I can't, can't give all the details because uh, I don't want to steal the thunder. But part one's going to be on Wednesday, and part two, we're having all the Sunday school classes come together next Sunday. We're feeding you breakfast. So for those of you who don't normally come to Sunday school, come early in the fellowship hall. We're going to be feeding breakfast, and I'm going to give the part two. But part of what we're going to do for our table discussion guide is, out of these six chapters, what has spoken to you? And I want you guys to share uh, on Wednesday night with the table and maybe even before the whole group, what are some things that have changed you? Aren't you glad that God is doing something in you and through you? Amen. And next Sunday, I want you all to invite a friend as we launch our new series, Real Faith and Real Life. Let us pray. Father, Thank you for your word. I know we covered a lot of ground, six chapters, the highlights. But God, my prayer is that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And right now with everyone praying, may your seat be your sanctuary. Would be anyone that would say, Pastor Timothy, you know, just like yourself, God has spoken to me through this Ephesians series. And I want to become in practice what I am in position. In other words, Jesus has saved me. He has forgiven me, but I want to live a different kind of life. Pray for me. If that's you, raise your hand. And I'm praying for you as I have my hand raised. Father, you see the hands. Help us to become in practice what we are in position. Help us to become what we already are. And God, where we fall short, we need grace. A lot of grace. Amazing grace to forgive us. And if there be one here that has never received Christ, you're not part of the new people of God, it's really simple. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. The Bible says that he became a sin offering for you. But it's not something that this comes upon you. You have to receive it. It's like getting married. You have to say, I do. So if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, as we said, come and dwell in your hearts. If you've never repented of your sin, right now is the time. Just right where you're sitting, say, Lord Jesus I give my life and my heart to you. I believe that you are God and that you're good. That you died on the cross and you rose again from my sin. So Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would adopt me into this wonderful, beautiful, eternal family, the family of God. Jesus, take my sin and nail it to your cross and make me a brand new person. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your love, and your grace. As we start the book of James next Sunday, Lord willing, I pray that we would just not just listen to the word, but we would apply the word. That we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we'd be doers. And that as a church family, we'd be rooted and grounded in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.